0: Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is one of my all-time favorite guests and people on the planet for that matter, and that is Susie Whaley. Let me remind you about Susie's background. She grew up in Syracuse, New York, played her college golf at the University of North Carolina where she led her all four years. She helped them win several team titles, including two Duke Spring Invitationals. She graduated with her degree in economics. She played on the LPGA Tour for a few years in the early 90s. In 2003, she became the first woman to qualify to play in a PGA Tour event since Babe Diedrich Saharius did it back in 1945. She qualified by winning the Connecticut PGA Championship. She won just about every tournament there is to win in the state of Connecticut, including the Women's Open three times. She competed in the USGA Senior Women's Open and the Senior PGA Championship. She is annually recognized as one of Golf Magazine's Top 100 instructors, as well as a Top 50 instructor by Golf Digest and the LPGA. She is a PGA Master Professional. She was recently the first female president of the PGA of America. In the summer of 2022, she was inducted into the Connecticut Golf Hall of Fame. She does an outstanding job now in the broadcast booth. She is also the president of Golf Nation, which is an exciting new golf platform, and I couldn't be more honored that I get to have her back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Susie, thanks for coming back on the show.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. I always love coming on your show.
0: Susie, let's start with all the exciting things you've got going on over there at Golf Nation. Update us on what's happening there.
1: Yeah, Golf Nation is a golf entertainment lifestyle OTT, meaning all it is is streaming television. Uh, And we are really excited. We just launched on Vizio Televisions on their home screen. We have content for everybody to consume. And what makes us different is we are shoppable content. So very, very cool platform that I hope everybody checks out. Uh, We just got approved for iOS. We are on Android. You can see us uh, at golfnation.com. And on your Vizio television.
0: I got the privilege of having Gabby Powell and, and Hannah Lerner on the show a few weeks ago, they're so much fun to to spend some time with. And I enjoy their show, Three Courses. One of their episodes was filmed right here in Atlanta. Are we going to be getting a second season of those two?
1: Oh, I sure hope so. We did that alongside of Travel and Leisure uh, and the Wyndham Resorts, uh, which are really cool destinations uh, to go visit, to play golf, to have food and beverage and. They've been amazing partners for us, and Hannah and Gabby are our hosts for that show. They did a fantastic job, and I hope everybody checks it out.
0: How about your show, Do I Know You? It was great getting to watch you with Zach Johnson and his wife, Kim, in a sort of newlywed game-like setting. Are we going to get more of that?
1: Yeah, I looked to have a bunch more of that in 2024. We kind of did a spoof off the newlywed game, and uh, we really had a good time with that, And as Zach was approaching the Ryder Cup, we thought that would be fun for people to get an inside access uh, with Kim. So uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it.
0: Susie, switching gears, Lexi Thompson is going to tee it up with the guys on the PGA Tour this week at the Shriners Children's Open. You know a thing or two about competing against the guys on the PGA Tour. You did it at the Greater Hartford Open in 2003. By qualifying, you did so by winning the Connecticut PGA Championship. Lexi's going to be there on a sponsor's exemption, but very exciting to see her get to compete out on the PGA tour. What are your thoughts on Lexi playing this week?
1: It's funny because I, when, when they announced it a couple of days ago, I was, I was up scrolling through my news feeds and the paper and it popped up and I immediately sent it to my family, my husband and my daughters. I said, how cool is this? Uh, so I of course was, I'm a huge advocate. I'm cheering her on. Um, I know it's going to be a stressful week for her, but she's prepared. Um, I know how hard she works on her game and her physicality for her game. Um, And I'm excited to see how she does. And I was even more excited uh, about the world paying attention to women's golf. Um, I, you know, I say this often, Chris, but, you know, you do a tremendous job of covering women's golf, but having really watched the Solheim Cup get very little coverage in the grand scheme of things, Um, I was excited at least that people were focused on women's golf. I look forward to the day that women don't have to play against men to get that kind of attention within the media, Uh, but I was thrilled uh, that people are talking about it.
0: If she reached out to you, what would you tell her? What kind of advice would you give her for what to expect and how to deal with everything that she's going to be confronted with on and off the golf course?
1: Well, you know, I th- I think I would first say to her first. First of all, I can't speak for Lexi, but I I would say to her first and foremost, you know, remember what your objective is for playing, and keep that forefront of mind. And and that's what I tried to do. My purpose for playing was to show my daughters, who were eight and six at the time, uh, that when you take when you get an opportunity, no matter if it's out of your comfort zone, you need to be brave. You need to take that on, uh, no matter the outcome. But you need to be incredibly prepared to do so. And then I earned that. Bought through a PG of America event. And, and the mission of the PG of America is to grow the game. And I felt if I could share with the world that I was brave enough to step out on that golf course, I would hope that women everywhere would be brave enough to step on their local golf course if they had never done it before, if it was outside of their comfort zone. And I think that really helped me navigate the tremendous amount of stress uh, that I dealt with playing against the best male golfers in the world, having a full time job as head golf professional, and a family. Uh, and two daughters. For for Lexi, she certainly, I'm sure, has very different reasons than I had for saying yes. And I know one of them is the children uh, that she wants to support. Um, but also, I'm sure she wants to, I also wanted to play great golf, but I'm sure she wants to really be competitive in that event. And um, I would just tell her to stick to that and and to keep coming back to that, be in her, be in her present mode, meaning don't get out ahead of yourself. And uh, golf is golf. You know, the golf ball doesn't know where you are, or who you're playing against, or who's watching you. While that's really easy to say, it's really hard to do. Um, but if you can keep that in mind and remember that, I, I think she'll perform uh, to the best of her absolute ability. And I, I can't wait to support her either way.
0: Susie, this has been, in my opinion, an exciting season for the LPGA Tour, particularly around the venues that the women have got to play, the majors at this, year, like Baltus Row and Pebble Beach. How big has that been for the growth of the game on the women's side?
1: Yeah, it's really exciting. And, and I'm happy to have, uh, as a PGA of America member, a small part in that. As we built out the KPMG Women's PGA Championship alongside of KPMG and the LPGA, one of the goals and objectives of that was to play golf courses that were inherently only traditionally male championship golf courses and thrilled that that we're seeing that run through the gamut now with more majors inclusive of the usga and to see them at pebble beach this year was spectacular to see them have shot length thanks to the usga was something that you know i herald and hope will continue to happen for more tour events uh because it just makes it so much more exciting for the fans to be able to watch and and relate to the game uh, so, you know, I, I couldn't be more thrilled about the venues that they're playing uh, and the amount of high level events that they have now to play in. And I just look forward to the to time where corporate America continues to step up and support them.
0: Can we look forward to the LPGA Tour playing out on more of these historic golf courses in the future?
1: You know, I would I would hope so, uh, because the level of play is tremendous on the LPGA Tour. But I I think as we move forward, what I would like to see even more so is I would just like to see the viewership up. I would like to see the opportunity for media coverage up. I would like to see the amount of cameras provided up. I would like to see them um, really be in the marketplace in a space where they were continuing to work toward getting to higher levels uh, amongst consumers' eyeballs. Right. I, I want more people who want to tune into the LPGA. There's plenty that currently do, but we have to be able to find them. We have to be able to see them. We have to see them in real time and not at 2am in the morning on a rerun. So my hope is while they continue to grow and play at better golf courses, my hope is that we as a fan base and a consumer base, turn them on and continue to watch them.
0: Susie, the Solheim Cup is going to be played again next year because they want to get it back on even-numbered years. Kind of got off-kilter there with COVID a couple of years ago. The U.S. team didn't quite get the job done a couple weeks ago to win the Cup. Things ended in a 14-14 tie, so Europe got to retain the Cup. I know the Solheim Cup, like the Ryder Cup, started out as an exhibition, but it feels like it's gone beyond that now. Do we need a tiebreaker in these sort of matches? Shouldn't there always be a winner in these sort of competitions? Well,
1: it's so funny because I think I'm the dissenter on this. You know, I, I, I read and talked so much about this, but I don't believe it is a tie. Like Everybody keeps saying it was a tie because of the points. But going into that event, you clearly know as a team member that to win the cup back is 14 and a half points. So I, I, I don't think it was a tie. I think it was a loss because they didn't get the cup back. I, I think it's very clearly stated how you earn the cup. So I, I think I'm probably one of very few that feel that way. I'm not interested in a playoff of, of, of people going out. I'm not interested in, in any of that. I'm interested in getting 14 and a half points the next time. So we bring the cup home.
0: <laughs> okay. Europe has now won four of the last six of these things. And on the men's side, the European team has won eight of the last 11 Ryder Cups. Why is Europe so much better at this than we are?
1: <laughs> well, okay. First of all, we have to talk about the fact that the women played amazing golf, right? They just, Europeans played a little bit better to keep that cup, and that's all they needed to do. So at the end of the day, you know, I'm not going to say, look, there's always going to be a winner and there's always going to be a loser when there's two teams playing against each other. Um, there's tons of, of ideas or surrounding, oh, you know, the Americans don't have the heart that the Europeans have. I mean, that's just, if you're a player, that's just not true. I I think at the end of the day, it comes down to that week, it comes down to course conditions, it comes down to layout, it comes down to what your team is more familiar with and how your team connects amongst each other. Um, But I'm here to tell you that if you're playing for your country and that flag goes up or you're playing for Team Europe, you want to be there and you want to be participatory in that. So for us to do better, we have to play foursomes better. Bottom line, we have got to do more alternate shot events of some sort as junior golfers so that we understand the concept as we run up to the Junior Ryder Cup, the Junior President's Cup. Um, but during the AJGA events, I think it's a matter of training. I, I think we have PGA Junior League now. And we part of the reason that we were so excited to PGA of America about PGA Junior League is to really instill match play amongst junior golfers as they would head off to college. And we saw the Stevens cup, but you know, you've got the Walker cup and you've got the Curtis cup, but that's it for junior golf. There are some AJGA events. Now there are match play competitions, which is exciting. And the USGA obviously junior is a match play competition. Um, but in Europe, they play it continually all growing up. They play foursomes at their local courses. It's it's a, it's a fun way to play the game in Europe. It's very quick. Um, and it's very popular. We just don't do that here, and I think we should. And I do think it would make a difference uh, as they go through their journey in golf, are more familiar with it, and it's not just this one time of year. Other than the Zurich Championship on the PGA Tour, so there is another time. So people don't call in and tell you that I don't know that. <laughs> I actually covered. I actually covered that. But like one or two times a year, in my opinion, um, you know, that makes it difficult if you haven't done it from when you're a kid. It's uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable format. And I think that's typically where we lose. If we lose, that's typically where we lose.
0: So let's take that a step further. Can you see an event like that or multiple events like that getting sprinkled into the PGA and LPGA tours or even like this time of year? I know When I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, this time of year was what we used to call silly season. We used to have the senior skins game, the regular skins game. We had the shark shootout. We had the three-tour challenge once upon a time. This seems like now that we're going to kind of get away from the wraparound schedule, maybe this is an opportunity for more events like that. Could you see us kind of figuring that out? Like, look, we need more of these if we're going to get good at it. So maybe this is the time of year for those events?
1: I mean, it could be, I, you look at the stats, right, you look at the analytics, you look at the data and, and you know, they both sides in Solheim and the Ryder Cup have statistician and analysts that are helping determine who should play with whom, uh, what should happen in which particular event, how people have played in the past uh, in the mornings versus the afternoons. I mean, every little piece of this puzzle is being looked at and nothing is being overlooked. So when you think about the analytics and you think about the data that we have now at our disposal because of things like shot for the men's tour, for example. So you can't say that, oh, well, that person shouldn't have played with that person on paper because that's been considered and that's been thought about. Now, things happen. People get sick. You have to make a change. Um, You know, somebody's not playing well uh, and asked you not to do uh, not to be a part of that. I'm not saying any of that occurred, but, but things happen. But at the same time, if we have all these analytics and we know this data and we have the top players in the world, I would say then what, what really is the issue here? Uh, could it be green speed? Of course. Could it be types of grass? Of course. Layout? Yes. But at the same time, what, what else is left? And I would say what else is left is an uncomfortableness in the format. And that's just my personal opinion. So if we had an opportunity and if people would play in it, like Patrick and Xander do at the Zurich, you find oftentimes that those people that do are the ones that perform well in that format during these competitions. So my answer would be yes. Would people choose to play in it? I don't know. Um, but as we move forward, if that's not the case in the tours, I would say, OK, well, let's do something at the collegiate level. Let's do something at the amateur level and let's do something at the junior level to where this isn't an uncomfortable format once you get there.
0: You mentioned playing for your country and there have been rumors now about a couple of the U.S. guys raising issues about not being paid paid to play in the events. Now, they do get $200,000 each to give to the charity of their choice. Money goes into the pension fund for all the guys who qualify to play out on the PGA Tour. They get the opportunity to wear the red, white, and blue. And it's not like they're paying for their flights or their hotel rooms or food or any of the expenses for they or their wives or the caddies. Can you envision an NIL deal? Does that need to happen? For the Ryder Cup? Yeah, for the Ryder or the Solheim Cup. No. (laughs) All righty then.
1: (laughs) No, I I don't think that needs to happen. I mean, that's like asking, okay, so you're going to play in the Olympics, you're going to get paid. I, I mean, I, I but you got to remember where I sit, right? I've been in governance for the PGA of America. So, you know, I look, I, I believe wholeheartedly that the Ryder Cup also elevates a player's brand in the marketplace dramatically. Um, I understand as a player that you have the right to have your opinion of, of what you should be paid for what you're doing in the moment in time that you're doing it. And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and say that's not okay. That That's up to that player. But I also think this is an opportunity and like all opportunities, there's there's also the opportunity to play or not play. There's also the opportunity to say, well, you know, I'm not interested in that. So in my opinion, I think it's an honor um, to play for your country, but that's my personal opinion. And I do believe that the PGA of America is an incredible partner in that alongside the PGA tour for the Ryder cup. Um, and I, and I don't, I don't believe it really needs to be justified.
0: Like I mentioned, we've got another new event coming up here in December, the Grant Thornton Mixed Team event, something I'm excited to see back out on the schedule. What do you think about that event?
1: No, I couldn't be more excited. You know, hats off to Grant Thornton uh, for establishing this event. I I look back to when JCPenney had a mixed team event, and it was incredibly popular. Um, so exciting. I can't wait to tune in. The, the teams that are playing are are popular teams and and fan-friendly names that people will know. And I think it's going to be great fun to watch.
0: Susie, you are one of the very few PGA master professionals. And that designation doesn't come along easily. They don't hand those things out to just anybody. Talk about what you had to go through in order to become a master professional.
1: Well, we're 29,000 members of the PGA of America and we have multiple levels of certification and education. And I think what's really neat about the PGA of America is whether you have a college degree or an MBA or a law degree and you're still a PGA professional, you're still having to go through an education process to earn uh, your class A status. And that's 800 hours of education uh, to get your class A status. Once you become a class A professional. Um, you can uh, then from there become a certified professional over a period of time, a specialized professional, excuse me, and then a certified professional. And then once you've been in the association as a Class A member for over 10 years, you have the opportunity to become a master professional. And there's multiple ways to go about doing that. Um, I put together uh, a capstone project for that based on my business, Susie Whaley Golf at the time. And you end up presenting that, you have to uh, do that in front of a group of educators and peers uh, that assess that. you have to present it in person, uh, and then they have to approve you for your master professional status. Uh, that's how I went through it and you know i i was when I was in governance for the p g of America, um, I felt it was hypocritical at least for me to be talking nonstop about how important. Uh, your learning journey was as a PGA professional, how important it was for you to make sure that you were up to date and that you were learning as best you could in the field you chose within the PGA of America. And if you had the opportunity to continue to learn, then you should. And I knew that I hadn't, when I became secretary of the PGA of America, I hadn't yet achieved master professional status, but I was talking about it at podiums. And so it was very important to me to accomplish that during my tenure. So I could do it from a seat of somebody who had actually gone through it and done it. And I'm proud to say that that's what I did.
0: Susie, I'm partnering with the legends of the LPGA tour to help promote the events on that tour and the great legends that we have on the LPGA side out there playing. You've played in some of the events on that tour. And I think it's the most accessible field of great players on any tour for people who aren't aware of the events and the field of, players that we get out there on the Legends Tour. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, I just had the opportunity to play in the BJ's Charity Championship, a really fun event where I played on a team with Michelle McGann against multiple other teams. Jane Blaylock actually won the event, crazy, 78 years old, won the event. Um, So, you know, there's unbelievable names that play on the Legends Tour. Uh, you know, from Joanne Carner to Julie Inkster, uh, you know, Angela Stanton, N- name the player. Pat Hurst is out there. As I mentioned, Michelle McGann, uh, Michelle Redman. Uh, I I could go on and on. And I hate to miss people that were at the BJ's championship. But, you know, Kathy Harbin, who's a member now of the PG of America Board of Directors, is is helping the Legends Tour. Jane Blaylock, of course, has just been a stalwart for the Legends Tour. And, you know, they've built this cool opportunity for women in the game to have an opportunity to not only get together and network, but to still be able to entertain clients and corporations uh, through their incredible play. And i tell you what, I got my tail kicked, but (laughs) the level of play (laughs) is still really strong. And... um, you know it's exciting uh what they've done and what they continue to do. They have an event at French like they have an they have events uh, at multiple venues across the country and obviously continue to look for support in the marketplace. But the fans that come out you know it's like a it's like a reunion for those of us that played in the nineties. Pat Bradley's still playing, and um it's just you know if you were familiar with that era on the LPGA tour, it's something that you should seek out, uh, and just try to, try to get to an event. I I think you would be stunned. Jan Stevenson is out on that tour playing. And, um, it's just, it's really just a, a, a fun, fun event, but also highly competitive.
0: Jane is a wonderful friend of the show. She was on right before the BJs and I couldn't have been more excited. When she and her partner won that event. so that Oh
1: was... my goodness, exactly. And they just played, they, she played with Patricia Munir, I'm say her name wrong, but Munir LeBlanc, I, you probably do it better than I do, Chris. Um, but they just played out of their minds and they were right in front of us. And Michelle and I, uh, we just hear these roars every single hole. And Michelle and I would look at each other like, okay, we got to pull this together. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Are we going to see you playing some more of those events next year?
1: Yeah, I would love to. I'm going to play in one, I think, in June uh, and maybe a couple others. Uh, My status is limited on that tour because there's way too many really good players uh, from the LPGA tour in front of me, but I will play in probably two or three.
0: Susie, just a couple more before I let you go. I got to get an update. How are your girls doing?
1: Uh, My girls are great. Um, My oldest has actually gone to work in the golf industry. She's working for Callaway and Top Golf out in Carlsbad, California. So, We are now officially the nerdiest golf family on the planet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Susie, for our listeners that want to stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, how can they do so, whether it's on Golf Nation or it's on social media?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Head over to golfnation.com on social media. Just find me under my name. I'm on LinkedIn at Susie Whaley, Instagram at Susie Whaley, and Twitter at Susie Whaley. It's pretty easy to find me.
0: Susie, always a huge thrill to get to spend some time with you and have you as part of the show. I hope we give that, uh, get that privilege again with you real soon.
1: No, I really always enjoy it, Chris. Thanks for all you do for golf.
0: Take care, Susie. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. You bet. See you, Susie. That is the great Susie Whaley, folks. And just a finer individual you will not meet. She's one of the great people that you get to meet in the golf industry. She's out there doing great things. I've admired her career and the things that she has accomplished so far doing great things now over at Golf Nation, and what a great platform that is. I certainly hope I certainly hope we get more editions of her show. Looking forward to a season two of three courses with Gabby and Hannah. Our game is in a better place because of Susie, and I look forward to catching up with her at the PGA Merchandise Show and, of course, having her back on the show again real soon.